how shall we picture the kingdom of God? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. The smallest seed in the world. Yet, when planted, it grows up. Rabbi! Sins are forgiven, my son. Did you hear that? He has forgiven his sins. I thought only God could do that. It's not blasphemy. He knows. It is blasphemy. Is that your wish, my friend? Well, answer me. Tell me which is easier. To say his sins are forgiven. Or say he. Get up. And walk. Son of man has authority to forgive sins. We begin a new series today called The Son of God. And as you've just seen depicted, Jesus calls himself in that passage there the Son of Man. And so if you take your Bibles today and go to the book of Luke, the fifth chapter. Luke chapter 5, verse 17 through 26 is the setting of what you just saw. We're going to be spending time there today together. So as you're doing that, let me say hello to our campuses. My name is Eddie Couples. I'm the lead pastor for Love and Truth Ministries, and I'm glad that you're with us today. I'm thankful for what God is doing at every location. We're excited today to be able to join you wherever you are to bring the Word of God to you. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at Jesus Christ, who He is, what he did, and what it means in our life. Now, a lot of people have a lot of, a lot of ideas about who this Jesus is. Some say he's a good teacher. Some say he was a religious man. Some say he was an enlightened one. Others say that he was God. Who is this one who 2,000 years ago showed up on this planet and literally changed the course of history? Is he God or is he a madman claiming to be God? I think that as we look at this, 
that we're going to find over the next few weeks that he really is truly who he said that he was. Today I want to turn your attention in the book of, of Luke, the fifth chapter. I, instead of reading the entirety to you, you can read it later. But would you go to verse 24? In fact, um, verse 24 says, Jesus here, we're just picking up in the middle of this story where he's healed this man uh, and, and, and in the process there of forgiving him and all that takes place. Verse 24 he says, But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said, I want you to understand that he does. So he said to the paralyzed man, in other words, so that you will know that he has the authority, here's what I'm going to do. Not only am I going to speak, be forgiven, but he goes on to say to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go. And the Scripture says immediately that man gets up. So here's what I want to talk about. I want to look at those three words in that passage where Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. What does it mean when Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man? In the New Testament, the term Son of Man is used 85 times. Jesus refers to himself the most in, in that process. He calls himself the Son of Man time and time and time again. Why does he do that? Now, how many of you know that we all have trouble understanding God? right? When, when you begin to think about God and who God is, and to wrap your mind around that is, is kind of a difficult process. But what we find is, is that Jesus comes as God, but he comes also as man. He shows up in this world, and he says, I want you to understand that I am not only the Son of God. They said, if only God can forgive. And he said, okay, I got you. He said, I'm, I'm the Son of God. But he said, also, I want you to understand I am the Son of Man. When we look at the Son of Man, what we're saying is, is that it connects us to the humanity of who Jesus is. Jesus looks at us and says, I want you to understand that although I am God, I am also human. The book of Matthew, the first chapter, the 21st verse says this, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When, when we begin to look at the son of man, what we find first of all is, is that Jesus had an earthly mother. Jesus came to this earth through a virgin. I want you to know this morning, I believe with all of my heart that Jesus was born of a virgin. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe that it is one of the main criterias of Scripture to say that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, the mother of Jesus, and that she conceived by the Holy Spirit. And that which was born in her was born of God. Now you say, Pastor, how do you know? Because the Bible tells me. Because the Word of God in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament said that there was going to be a virgin who was going to be with child by the Holy Spirit. I believe Mary was that virgin, and I believe Jesus was born of Mary. And so what I find is this, is that although He is God in infants, in, in, in all, all that we look at in the Old Testament, we find Him coming as an infant in the New Testament and becoming God. God with us, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Philippians, the second chapter, verse 5 through 8, talks about this. 
uh, excuse me, Paul writing there to the Philippian church said, in your relationship with one another, let this same mindset be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And then he begins to tell us what that mindset was. Who being in the very nature of God, now Jesus is in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Another translation says to be grabbed at. Rather, he made of himself nothing. Think about that. Jesus made of himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The second thing that we have to understand is that Jesus took on the form of a man. He became a man. He came to this earth and he took the form of a man and he lived on this earth. I mean, think about that. Here is the one who the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and, and, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then it goes on to say, and all things were made by him. All things are made by him, and yet this one who spoke the worlds into existence, who, who stooped down and created man, breathed into man the breath of living life, now decides, determines to come to this earth. The Bible says he didn't grasp at Godhood. He didn't grasp at that which was his right. He came and he became a man. Now, I want to tell you, I know that when you begin to talk about this concept, it's tough to wrap our brain around. We go, wait a minute, how can he be the Son of Man and the Son of God? How can God come to earth and become a man? Well, let me just tell you this, I don't know. How'd you like that? You thought I was going to give you some great theological answer. I don't know. All I know is, is that God chose to come to earth that way. And I have enough faith to believe that if his word says that that is what took place, then I believe that Virgin Mary was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, that Jesus came to this earth, and that Jesus lived on this earth. And he lived as a man. He lived as a human being. He lived as the Son of Man. Now listen, if he came just as the Son of God, he could exhibit all of his power, all of his authority, all of his glory, and we would still be blown away just like we are about God. How many of you have ever read some things in the Old Testament that just kind of make you want to go, huh? Right? Come on, anybody? I mean, there, there's things about God in the Old Testament that just are a little difficult to understand. Am I the only one? I mean, I, I, I can't wrap my brain around an omniscient, omnipresent God. I, I don't understand how God can know all things, be all things, and be everywhere, and be all-powerful all at the same time. I can't understand that. And so when I begin to look at the Old Testament, the, the whole aspect of God in the Old Testament is overwhelming. It's awesome. It's great to know God in that dimension because that makes Him God. But I can't relate to the God of the Old Testament. Boy, it's quiet this morning. You say, Pastor, I, I mean, I, I love the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament too. But the God of the Old Testament, who is the God of the New Testament, I understand that. But the way that he comes across in the Old Testament is hard for me to understand. 
But when I begin to see the Son of God, who now is also the Son of Man, I can begin to understand a little bit better about what this God, who is the creator of the universe, what he is really like. The book of Hebrews, the second chapter, the 14th verse says this. Since the children, talking of us, since the children have flesh and blood, he says, he too, speaking of Jesus, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, Get that. He might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Now, let, let, me, let me talk to you a minute. Jesus possessed human characteristics. And it's very important that we understand that Jesus possessed human characteristics. You say, why? Well, let's go all the way back. Let's, let's do a rewind here for a second. Let's go all the way back to the book of Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was out, form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. And God said. And you begin to watch as God says, as God says, as God says. And God sees what he, what he said. And, and you come through all that. And then in chapter 3, you find Adam and Eve who had been created in the image and the likeness of God. The Bible says that Satan shows up in the form of a certain. He begins to talk to, to Eve. Eve gives in, takes a bite of the fruit. And it is not an apple. The Bible never says it's an apple just says it's a fruit, all right, and, and takes a bite of the fruit, and then her eyes are open, and then her husband Adam does the same thing, and the Word of God says, and God came in the cool of the day crying out, Adam, where are you? And finally, Adam says, we're over here, we're hiding because we're naked. And the Lord said, how did you know you didn't have any clothes on? And he said, that woman. <laughs> and men have been saying that ever since. That woman, right? That woman you gave me. And the woman said, that serpent. And the serpent looked around and said, I don't have anybody to blame. There's nobody any lower. And, and yet what we find is, is that God in that moment, now there's a point to this, God in that moment said, I want you to understand, Satan, there's one coming, and he's going to crush your head. You're going to bruise his heel but he's going to crush your head. Another scripture says it this way. It says, before the foundation of the world, a lamb was slain. Before mankind ever sinned, before we ever committed the first act of treason against the hierarchy of God, the Word of God said that God had already prepared a son to come into this earth to die on our behalf. You say, well, what does it matter, Pastor? Well, read the Scripture in the Old Testament. The Word of God says that every year that the high priest would take a lamb, that lamb had to be spared spotless without any blemish that high priest would take that lamb he would slay that lamb he would catch the blood and he would walk into the holy of holies and he would take the blood that he was given and he would sprinkle it between the cherubs that are on the altar and he would he would at that moment the sins of Israel would be remitted for one more year but that lamb had to be perfect you and I needed a perfect sacrifice you and I needed not only a perfect sacrifice, you and I needed a perfect sacrifice that was the Scripture calls a kinsman redeemer. I know this is some deep theological stuff this morning, but go with me because we've got to set the base for this. What we are talking about today is the one who is going to save us from our sin had to be like us, except he could have no sin. 
if he had sinned, then he would have been spotted. He would not have uh, been perfect, and therefore he could not save me from our, my sin. And yet the Word of God says that Jesus was perfect. He came as a man, but he never sinned. He never gave in a temptation. He never did anything that could be considered sinful in his life. And so here he is, the Son of God, but he is also the Son of Man. And because of that, he can redeem me from my sins. I don't know about you, but that's exciting news to know that that one who is the Son of God now became the Son of Man to save me from my sin. The book of, of John, the first chapter, verse 1, and we'll skip down to verse 14. And I've quoted it while ago. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 says, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. We have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. When you begin to look at him as the son of man, what you find is, is that he was fully God and he was fully man. Jesus was God, but Jesus was man. And all the creeds of, of historical church bear witness to that effect, that Jesus is God, but Jesus is man. In fact, at one point they said, Lord, show us the Father. And what did Jesus say? If you've seen me, you've what? You've seen the Father. He said, if you want to know what the Father is like, you want to know the characteristics of the Father, watch me, look at my life, look at who I am. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, beyond all question, and another translation says, beyond all, beyond all contradiction, that the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. He appeared in flesh, this is speaking of Jesus, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up to glory. I, I want to tell you today, we serve a risen Savior. The Bible says that God was manifested in the flesh. That means what you want to understand. The manifestation means that which we can see. Again, let's talk about it. The Old Testament God is awe-inspiring. He is glorious. He is wonderful. But He is beyond my comprehension. He is so great. He is so far. In fact, one, one passage says, His ways are beyond my ways. His thoughts are beyond my understanding. I mean, it is just out there. But you know what? Jesus, I can understand. No, come on. Jesus is God manifest, made known to us in the flesh. You know how, how, how I can relate to God? Do you know how I do that? I do it through Jesus. When I look at Jesus and I understand who Jesus is, then I understand who God is. I mean, Jesus was weary. Jesus got tired. I can relate to that. Anybody? Right? Jesus got hungry. I can relate to that. Some of you are whining your watch right now. Jesus experienced agony. He experienced torment. He, he hurt when they crucified him. Jesus experienced compassion. The Word of God says that he looked out at the multitude and he was moved with compassion because they were sheep without a shepherd. He's moved with sorrow. He stands at the tomb of Lazarus. And the Bible says that he weeps. You say, well, why would he weep? Because this was his good friend who had just died. I can relate to that. 
You say, well, he knows he's going to raise him. I understand that. But in that moment, he experiences sorrow. He experiences weeping. He even experiences temptation. You say, well, I don't believe Jesus was tempted. Well, then you haven't read the Bible. Because the Bible says that he was tempted in all manner, like as we are, yet without sin. I want to tell you, Jesus was tempted. Whatever your temptation is, the Bible says Jesus was tempted. You say, I, I don't believe Jesus was ever tempted sexually. Oh, yes, he was. You, you, want me, you want me to show you where? In Scripture, at the well. The woman who comes to the well at noontime. She comes to the well at noontime, and I don't want to get way too far in your business here, but she comes to the well at noontime. You don't go to the well at noontime to draw water. You go to the well in the morning and in the evening with all the other women. You come to the well at noontime because there's a bunch of men hanging out. Do I need to explain that to some of you? She came in that moment to try to apply her trade. And yet Jesus encounters her, but Jesus, although he was tempted in that moment, is then in that moment changed. That Some of you are struggling with Jesus being tempted sexually, I can tell. If he wasn't tempted sexually, then the Bible lies. If he was tempted in all manner like as we are, then that means he was tempted in that way. And whatever you're going. So he, he experiences that, the Bible says, yet without sin. Now, when we begin to look at him as the Son of Man, to set that theological basis to get you to where I want you to be today, is I want you to look in the Word of God. Would you look in verse 18 and 19 in this passage that we referred to earlier? It, it talks about, look, look in verse 18 and 19, because I want you to see, knowing that he is the Son of Man, I want you to see how he operates, who he is, what his nature is. Look in verse 18 and 19. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house and to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Let me just say this to you, then I want to develop this. The first thing about Jesus being the Son of Man, number one is he is approachable. You can come to him. I mean, think about this. These guys come to Jesus in the most awkward way. I mean, we, we read Scripture, but we don't really read Scripture. Do you know what I mean? I mean, we read stuff, and it's just kind of like, well, boy, we know what's going to happen, so it's all okay. Let me back up for a minute. How many of you own a house? All right? How many of you know you could have Jesus and all the disciples in there hanging out, and that would be really cool? right? I mean, wouldn't that be great? Jesus shows up with his entourage, and they're hanging, and he's teaching. I mean, that would be, and people are coming, all the neighborhoods gathered because Jesus is there. But how many of you know that if somebody started ripping the roof off of your house, you're going to get ticked? No, come on. You, we, we read that kind of go, well, yeah, rip the roof off. No, I want to tell you, they start ripping the roof off the sucker, you're going to get mad. You're going to go out and start throwing stuff at them. Cut it out. You're going to pick up a brick and try to hit them in the head. What do y'all think? You're, you're tearing up my house. We read it. They tore the roof. No, they tore the roof off. And, and what, what is so great about this is that Jesus does not become angry at these guys. 
I mean, if that's me, listen, I, I've been preaching for a long time, and, and it's what I do. I, com, I use communication uh, as the tool God's given me. And the one thing that is the worst that can happen is when you are communicating when, for somebody to interrupt you. I was preaching in, in New York a few years back, and uh, we were in his college, and I was preaching. And this guy stood up as I'm preaching, and he starts talking back to me. I was looking, where are the ushers? Get this guy out of here. I, I, I didn't say, bless thee, my son. I'm going, you interrupting what I'm doing, Jack. Shut up and sit down. And for those of you who get nervous about it, shut up, it's in the Bible. The Bible said it's like a fire shut up in my bones. Anyway, uh, it, but, but Jesus doesn't do that. It's just kind of like, oh, okay, cool. See, Jesus was willing to be interrupted. Jesus was approachable. He was saying, you know, he, another time he said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. All right? The, the second thing, look in verse 20. Look in the first part of verse 20. Um, it says, When Jesus saw, what was that next word? There. When Jesus saw their faith. See that? See, the second thing about Jesus is that he is compassionate. Jesus is a lover of people. Jesus cares more about people than he does anything else. The interesting thing about this, I don't know if any of you have picked up on this, I guess maybe because I've been studying it for the past few months, getting ready for this series. Uh, I want you to understand that, the, that nowhere in this passage do we see the lame man, the paralyzed man, nowhere in this do we ever see him exhibiting faith or asking for forgiveness. And yet, the Bible says Jesus saw their faith. I, I want to help some of you today. Jesus knew they had great love for their friend. And that love had brought them to Jesus. In fact, it had so moved them that they had broken all protocol and tore the roof off of a neighbor's house and dropped the man down in front of Jesus. And Jesus, seeing their faith, looks at the man, forgives him, heals him, and sends him home. Now, here's what I want to tell you. There is somebody in your life that is waiting for your faith. There's somebody that you have a connection with, that the compassion that God has placed in your heart for them is all that it's going to take to get them into the presence of Jesus. And when you get them into the presence of Jesus, He is going to forgive them. He is going to cleanse them. He is going to change their life when you, your faith, brings them into the presence of Jesus. See, it's needful for us to understand that Jesus saw their faith, and he's compassionate because of the faith, not of the man, but of the faith of the people. Look in the latter part of verse 20. It goes on to say, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The, the, the third thing about Jesus is, is that he is forgiving. This son of man is forgiving. The, the one characteristic that we see time and time and time again in the life of Jesus is how forgiving he was. It is his nature to forgive. 
I mean, this man, listen, the man doesn't say, could you forgive me? I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. The Bible doesn't say that he says a word, and yet Jesus sees their faith, and Jesus forgives him. I want to tell you, Jesus is not mad at you today. Jesus is not angry with you today. Some of you feel like God is dangling you over hell just waiting for you to mess up so he can clip the string and send you to hell. I want to tell you, Jesus is not mad at you. Jesus loves you and wants to forgive you. When you begin to study scripture, you find time and time again that the nature of Jesus is to forgive. The, the Word of God says that there is a woman who is taken in adultery who they bring to Jesus, throw her at His feet. And, and I, I want to just share the story with you for a moment. The, the Word of God is quite clear there that they catch her in the act of adultery. I don't think they give her time to put her clothes on and to get all fixed up. I think at the very best, she may have a little sheet wrapped around her and they throw her in front of Jesus and she is trembling knowing that the next thing that's going to happen is they're going to stone her to death. And they walk up and they say in their, all of their religious phraseology, the law says what we just caught this woman doing is guilty of death. And the Bible says Jesus stooped down and began to write on the ground. Now, I wish the Scripture had told us, but it doesn't, so for years I've made it up. <laughs> Here's what I think Jesus was doing. I think he was writing their girlfriend's names down. <laughs> he was putting their mistress's names on the ground. Because the Bible says, because watch this, the Bible says from the eldest to the youngest, they split. All right? Old guys get it quicker than young guys. All right? I think Jesus is just writing, you know, Martha. They got to go, oop, I'm out. You know, Mary, that one's, I mean, he just, just starts writing names, and they're going, oh, I'm out of here. And, and then Jesus looks down at this woman who, understand, she, she's not looking around. She is, she is in terror of her life. And the Scripture says Jesus looks at her and says, uh, where are your accusers? And the Bible says, the, the scripture is real quick there. We, we jump from one place to the other. I don't think it happened that way. I think she, again, and Tara looks up and begins to look for this group of men who were getting ready to stone her. And as she timidly turns around, expecting all of these men there with the rocks in their hand, she sees no one. Now remember, Jesus had made one comment to the crowd, and here was the comment. You who are without sin, you cast the first stone. There's only one person in the crowd without sin. Jesus. Jesus. And yet, when she turns around and looks, and she turns back to Jesus, she just said, Lord, there's nobody here. He doesn't pick up a stone and say, but I've, I'm going to take you out. I'm still here. I'm the authority. I'm the sinless one. No, no, no. What does he say? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. See, the Son of Man is showing up in your life today. And He's not showing up because He's mad at you or angry at you. He is showing up today to say to you, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. 
What he's saying to her is, look, this lifestyle that you're living is destroying you. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to judge you. I'm going to release you. But please, don't go back to that old lifestyle. Don't go back to that way of living. Let your life be transformed and made into my image and into my likeness. Look in verse 24 and 25 as we kind of bring this thing down today. Jesus now talking because they've kind of questioned about forgiveness. He said, but I want you to know that the Son of Man, there's that phrase, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. The fourth thing about the Son of Man is he is able. He is able. No matter what it is that you need at this moment, he is able. He is able not only to heal a broken body, he is able to heal a broken heart. Not only is he able to deal with physical pain in your life, he's also able to deal with your emotional scars that you have today. He's able. It does not matter today what it is that you are experiencing or what it is that you have gone through. There is the Son of Man. His name is Jesus. And he left heaven to come to earth so you could experience what heaven's all about. This Jesus is God. But he identifies with us in our human condition. He comes to us as the Son of Man to accept us, to forgive us, and to heal us, to change our lives. So no matter what I've experienced, no matter what yesterday has been, God is here right now. In this moment, I can experience him as the Son of Man who the Bible says that he came into this world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. Amen.